Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Ken Hughes, who is an expert on secret presidential recordings, especially those of Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon. Ken Hughes has spent two decades mining the secret White House tapes and unearthing their secrets. As a journalist writing in the New York Times Magazine, Washington Post, Boston Globe Magazine, and since 2000 as a researcher at the Miller Center at the University of Virginia, Hughes' work has illuminated the uses and abuses of presidential power involved in, among other things, the origins of Watergate, Jimmy Hoffa's release from federal prison, and the politics of the Vietnam War. He's the author of Chasing Shadows, The Nixon Tapes, The Shinoa Fair, and The Origins of Watergate, and of Fatal Politics, The Nixon Tapes, The Vietnam War, and the Casualties of Re-Election. He's working on a book about President Kennedy's role in the coup plot that resulted in the overthrow and assassination of DM in South Vietnam. Ken Hughes, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Hi, David. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Nice of you to come on. Uh, the context I think that this came up in was the this movie in the theaters now, The Post, about uh, the Pentagon Papers and Nixon trying to block them. Uh, you've noted that uh, what he was most worried about was not actually in the Pentagon Papers. Is that right? That's right, David. The Pentagon Papers themselves dealt with presidencies before Richard Nixon's with uh, a little bit with Harry Truman, some more with Dwight Eisenhower, then a lot with John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. And so the contents of the Pentagon Papers themselves, this secret history of the Vietnam War that was produced in the Defense Department during the Johnson administration, really did not pose any kind of threat to Richard Nixon personally. But it still struck fear into his heart when the Pentagon Papers leaked because he thought that some of the guys who were responsible for the uh, creation of the Pentagon Papers, the guys who were top officials in the International Security Affairs Division of the Defense Department, uh, knew some of Nixon's Vietnam secrets, and he quickly formed this conspiracy theory that they had leaked the Pentagon Papers rather than Daniel Ellsberg, uh, who we know actually did the leak. Um, and that it was a prelude to leaking his secrets, specifically the uh, secret bombing of Cambodia, and also Nixon's role in the Chenault Affair, which was a successful attempt during the 1968 presidential campaign to block the start of Vietnam peace talks. Well, I definitely want to ask about that, but I also want to ask quickly about my friend Daniel Ellsberg. It seems that Nixon eventually got it into his head that, that Ellsberg was responsible and even called him the most dangerous man in the country, uh, presumably because he feared that he did have and could release information about Nixon's presidency. Is that right? Um, Nixon thought Ellsberg was part of a greater conspiracy. Um, one that involves these guys from International Security Affairs, uh, a man named Paul Warnke, uh, another one named Morton Halperin, and a third named Leslie Galb. 
They were the top three officials in international security affairs. They had, in one way or another, overseen the Pentagon Papers project, which Ellsberg had worked on. Yeah. And so Nixon saw Ellsberg as the, the visible guy, the uh, easily identifiable part of the conspiracy. But he thought that, there, that he was just part of a conspiracy and that that conspiracy extended to these others uh, who were at that time um, advisors to Democratic presidential candidates uh, who Nixon might face in the 1972 election. So uh, Nixon did realize that Ellsberg was in part responsible for the leak, but he never quite abandoned the idea that that uh, Ellsberg was part of a conspiracy. And the part that really worried him was... Uh, the secret bombing of Cambodia leaking, and uh, also, I think, the, the Chenault affair. Let's, let's take those in order. I, I guess the Chenault affair first. Uh, this was something that, that Lyndon Johnson privately uh, called treason and publicly didn't call anything at all. Um, that is perhaps worthy of some, some analysis, but what, what sure. was this affair? Well, the, the biggest issue of the 1968 presidential campaign was whether or not to start peace talks with North Vietnam by halting the American bombing of North Vietnam. That was something that the North Vietnamese said all along must be done unconditionally. But Lyndon Johnson had three conditions for, uh, for ordering a bombing halt. Namely, uh, the North Vietnamese had to respect the demilitarized zone that divided Vietnam into north and south. They had to stop sending soldiers and artillery fire across the DMZ. Uh, the second condition was that the North Vietnamese had to agree to sit down with the South Vietnamese at uh, peace talks in Paris, and in return, Johnson would agree to ha uh, have the uh, National Liberation Front also present at those peace talks. And the third one was that the communists, both the uh, North Vietnamese Army and the Viet Cong, had to stop shelling civilian centers in South Vietnamese cities. Uh, these were Johnson's uh, conditions, but two of them, the military ones, were secret. Uh, they were uh, secret because the North Vietnamese had demanded that the, that the bombing be halted unconditionally. And Johnson knew that if he made public his conditions, um, the North just could not agree to them, and that would preclude the start of peace talks. That would make it impossible to start peace talks. So Johnson, throughout the campaign, keeps all the presidential candidates, Richard Nixon, uh, the Republican nominee, uh, Vice President Hubert Humphrey, the Democratic nominee, and even George Wallace, the uh, independent former uh, overt white supremacist in 1968, more of a populist conservative in his rhetoric, uh, avoiding explicit appeals to uh, white nationalism, while still making lots of covert appeals to the same. Um, and he basically said, look, you, none of you guys can, can concede more than these three points. If you do, the North Vietnamese are never going to agree to my terms, and we won't have a bombing halt, and Without uh, bombing halts, their peace talks won't start. Without peace talks, we can't have peace. Yeah. Nixon all along in public says, I will say nothing that will interfere with the possibility that peace talks will begin. 
But <laughs> he also privately fears if peace talks start before Election Day, Johnson will rise in the polls dramatically, and his vice president, Hubert Humphrey, the Democratic nominee, will also rise dramatically in the polls. So in secret, Nixon does all he can to keep the peace talks from starting. And what that means is he uh, invites the South Vietnamese ambassador to a secret meeting in New York with Nixon, his uh, campaign chairman, John Mitchell, and his top female fundraiser, Anna Chenault. Anna Chenault's just an absolutely fascinating character in American politics, and I wonder why there hasn't been a miniseries about her yet, because, you know, she's, she's the only Chinese-American woman who's a delegate to the Republican convention. She's the top Republican fundraiser. She has such an incredibly interesting life. Uh, born in China, she marries the head of the American uh, volunteer uh, air force uh, that defended China against the Japanese invasion. Um, she lost her homeland in the Chinese Communist Revolution, came to America, became a big part of the China lobby, which blamed the Truman administration for the success of Mao Zedong's revolution in China, uh, becomes this famous Washington hostess in the 1960s, when that was like one of the top things a woman could be in America because of the the sexism and misogyny at the time. And um, she becomes Nixon's secret. Um, the way it works is Nixon tells Mitchell to call Chenault and, you know, get and tell Chenault to have the South Vietnamese stay away from the peace talks um, so that Johnson will not get this boost in popularity that will affect Humphrey and uh, damage Nixon's chances for, for uh, winning the 1968 election. So how is that for a long explanation? Can I, can I give you my quick hypothesis as to why there are not movies about Anna Chenault in Hollywood? Uh, sure. One reason, the, the fact that the United States was giving airplanes and trainers and even pilots to the Chinese to fight Japan and making sure Japan knew all about it before Pearl Harbor is not beneficial to the Pearl Harbor story that we all know and love. And the fact that she helped Richard Nixon sabotage the end, the possible ending of the war on Vietnam in order to get him fraudulently elected in a move that the sitting president called treasonous is not beneficial to the story of the United States presidency that we are all taught to know and love from, from kindergarten on. I mean, it's not, the, it's not the most desirable story for uh, U.S. nationalism that I I could imagine. <laughs> it really is. It is, as Lyndon Johnson called it at the time, a sordid story. And, but it is so an important story uh, about um, the tangle of American domestic politics and the politics of war, uh, the politics of peacemaking, and, you know, foreign uh, colluding with a foreign government to, um, to win an election which has resonance with, our, with our, our current political scene. And, you know, the Watergate story, despite being extremely sordid, uh, is nonetheless now part of American political history and political culture. And I trace the origins of Watergate back to the Chenault affair. Uh, Indeed. Because, yeah, um, Nixon, once he became president, was kind of obsessed with finding out everything in the government's files about the Chenault affair, because, as you mentioned, Lyndon Johnson did learn that the Republicans were interfering with the peace talks 
in the final week of the presidential campaign of 1968, uh, through, again, getting back to the sordidness of the story, through uh, the, the following extraordinary means, uh, the CIA had a bug in the office of South Vietnamese President Chu, so he knew what, that, that Chu basically favored Nixon over Humphrey and didn't want to go to the peace talks because he thought that going to the peace talks would, would favor Humphrey. Uh, the National Security Agency intercepted communications from the South Vietnamese Embassy in Washington, D.C. to the Saigon government. That, those are the communications between Ambassador Bowie Diem, uh, who was the person Chenault contacted, and the president of South Vietnam, Nguyen Van Thieu. And finally, Johnson had the FBI place a wiretap on the South Vietnamese Embassy phone. So this is how Johnson learned about the Chenault affair. And the main obstacle, people always wonder why Johnson did not make the Chenault affair public when he knew about it. And one of the biggest obstacles was that while he had the goods on Chenault, he heard her say to the South Vietnamese ambassador on the phone, or the FBI heard her say to the South Vietnamese ambassador on the phone, hold off, uh, my boss is going to win. And, and that was a reference to not joining the, the Paris peace talks. He didn't have any direct evidence against Nixon himself. And there's this incredible Johnson tape of a phone call he had with his defense secretary, his secretary of state, and his national security advisor on November 4th, 1968, the day before the presidential election, when the Christian Science Monitor <laughs> wants his comment on an article it is has in its hands and is ready to print, saying that... Um, the Republicans had tried to get the South Vietnamese not to go to the Paris peace talks, and that was one of the main reasons why the South Vietnamese were not going. Um, it would have been a, a huge scandal. Uh, it might have affected the election. It might have affected the outcome of the election, which, as you know, was decided by less than one percentage point. Uh, Nixon eked out one of the narrowest victories of the 20th century. Um, and all of Johnson's top advisors said no, because we, we should not go public with what we know, because one, we don't know if Nixon himself was involved. Two, uh, the sources are sensitive. I mean, we got we know about this through intelligence, through American intelligence, um, CIA activities, NSA activities, and an FBI wiretap, and we do not use that stuff in American uh, elections. Right. Um, and finally, we might cripple Nixon's presidency before it begins, and we would, we would do that without knowing whether he himself is guilty or whether someone speaking in his name is doing all this. So Johnson says, okay, I won't make it public, and they don't comment, and history is, you know, is different from what it might otherwise have been. We um, Yes. We're speaking with Ken Hughes uh, from the University of Virginia's Miller Center, who has spent many hours, I don't know how many, listening to incriminating, often, uh, presidential recordings. Um, it, it, so, But at this point, Ken, there, there's not any doubt that Nixon did this thing, correct? Uh, I'm wondering what percentage of the U.S. public has any idea uh, now. It, it doesn't seem to be in... Uh, in, in too many books or articles or textbooks? I, I don't know about textbooks in general. Um, it has, I think it's better known now than it has ever been, thanks to John Farrell's really gripping biography of Richard Nixon, in which he found um, during his research 
notes from Nixon's chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman, in which Nixon specifically tells Haldeman to have Chenault demand that the South Vietnamese make Johnson's conditions public. As I told you, uh, if the reason Johnson didn't make his conditions public was that he knew that would torpedo the chance of having peace talks begin. So this is clear and direct evidence that Nixon himself not only was behind the Chenault affair, but did try to sabotage the peace talks personally. He didn't succeed in that particular attempt. The South Vietnamese did not make those conditions public, but he wanted to. It's it's very incriminating. But the main thing is, um, history, I hate to say this in America, it's for, for once you're out of school, history is a luxury good. (laughs) It's, you can, you can learn American history if you want to, but most people can get by without doing so, or at least think they can get by without doing so. And it's entirely optional, you know, whether you uh, buy and read books about American history or you spend your often not great, uh, not copious amounts of leisure time doing something else. Although so, I'm willing to wager I could more easily find someone ignorant of Nixon's Chinot affair than I could find someone ignorant of September 11th or Pearl Harbor or uh, the, yes. the Civil War or the, the American Revolution or the grand defeat of the Nazis that the Soviets had nothing to do with. I mean, there are, thing, there are things I could find general public awareness of, even though it's optional. Yes. Yes, but and, and here's why. Um, most of the things you talked about were mass news at the time. You could not avoid learning about September 11th at the time of uh, that attack. Um, uh, I, wrote, I, I, wrote a avoid... book, I wrote a book about the Kellogg-Briand Pact. It was literally the biggest news story in the world in 1928. No one has heard of it. No one. Yes, but that's because it, it doesn't currently get on television or radio or in the daily newspapers because our current crop of politicians don't find it particularly relevant. It was, you know, hugely important, but that its relevance to people in the present is not so clear. That's That's why people know about Watergate, mainly in the way that Watergate came out in 1973 and 1974. Everybody knows about the Watergate break-in. Everybody knows there was a Watergate cover-up, because those were the things that were most heavily covered. Right. Um, Things like the Pentagon Papers, uh, Nixon's reaction to it by setting up the plumbers, um, which, uh, you know, was his way of, as I go into Chasing Shadows, it was his way to uh, fight the conspiracy he imagined was out to get him by destroying its members first, by gaining as much damaging information as he could illegally um, through things like the grand jury uh, investigations and making that information, again, illegally public uh, through his own Mm -hmm. leaks. Um, You you mentioned... You mentioned... Sorry to... to, Go ahead. Yeah, the the thing is... um, Right now, people know about the Pentagon Papers a little bit more, even if they didn't live through it, because there's a movie about it. And since there's a movie, it gets in the newspapers. It gives you and me a chance to discuss it more in more depth on the radio, as are other people on other radio programs. Right. You know, it gets on television. Um, the the way most people get their history is through electronic media, and um, it's you know it 
historians just have to show the revel- the relevance of their of their work to people's current day lives in order to get that kind of interest. Indeed, so you were saying, and, and and in movies, not in books. I think the fact that Ellsberg has a new book out saying he only leaked half the papers. There's a whole other story never told. Is not as well yep. known as what's in the movies, but um, and that yeah, and that that's extraordinary since Daniel Ellsberg is one of the you know most prominent figures of the Nixon era. Uh, you know, he's, he's somebody whose name is in the history books. Yet when he writes about something of profound importance like nuclear war, uh, it gets some attention, but but nowhere near the attention that things much more trivial do. Indeed. Um, you, you mentioned, and I wanted to get to before we run out of time, that the other big story that Nixon was afraid the conspiracy was going to leak about him was his secret bombing of Cambodia. And, and in your writing at the Miller Center, you also covered sort of what the disastrous consequences were of that bombing. Can you talk a little bit about that? The secret bombing of Cambodia was the first major strategic decision Nixon made as president about Vietnam. He wanted to bomb the North Vietnamese supply route, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, through the border area of Cambodia. Cambodia was on South Vietnam's western um, border. And the idea was, you know, to interfere with the infiltration routes of the enemy. Um, It did that some, but it had an unimaginable... Uh, array of unintended consequences. First thing it did is it drove the North Vietnamese deeper into Cambodia, uh, which was a neutral nation on the war. The uh, Prince Sihanouk, the monarch in, uh, at, in, of Cambodia, uh, had maintained official neutrality. Um, but once the North Vietnamese were deeper into Cambodia, they started to clash with Cambodian villagers. And it was much harder for Cambodia to remain neutral when its own people were fighting with the North Vietnamese. While Sihanouk's out of the country, another unintended consequence occurs when the right wing in Cambodia overthrows Sihanouk in a coup and installs a pro-Western government. Uh, it, it now is on the, officially on the side of the, of the U.S. in the Vietnam War, which sounds like a good thing for the Nixon administration, except it... Uh, further antagonizes the North Vietnamese, who send more troops into Cambodia, this time with the aim of overthrowing the, uh, the pro-U.S. government. And by April of 1970, they're, they're right on the, on the outside of the capital, uh, where they're in artillery distance, and Nixon really fears that they are going to succeed in installing a, a, pro, a, a pro-North Vietnam government in uh, Phnom Penh, and that this will lead to him losing in Vietnam because it'll give the North Vietnamese this great sanctuary right on the western border of Vietnam. So Nixon, in order to salvage the situation, sends American troops into Vietnam, and that is the extremely controversial invasion of Cambodia. Uh, In America, that sets off the largest protests to date against the Vietnam War, Colleges shut down. Um, there are major clashes between demonstrators and campus security and police. And in Kent State, uh, the National Guard. The Kent State massacre occurs less than a week after after Nixon announces the invasion of Cambodia. Um, and all of this happens because of the secret bombing. And Nixon is terrified that people will learn that he caused all these disastrous actions. Uh, with this very first major decision 
he made about the Vietnam War. So you can hear him on tape as soon as the Pentagon papers leak. Uh, he's worried about whether Morton Halperin, one of those top officials in the uh, International Security Affairs Division of the Pentagon, um, who oversaw the writing of the Pentagon papers, he worries that Halperin knows about the secret bombing of Cambodia, and he's afraid Halperin will leak it. Um, so that is another reason that he that he panics when the Pentagon papers leak. He, he was wrong. The uh, the guys he suspected of being in a conspiracy against him were not part of the leak of the Pentagon Papers. They were all uh, what Lyndon Johnson and Walt Rostow called good Democrats. They wanted to work in the next Democratic administration, and there's no way they could maintain security clearances if they leaked uh, classified documents like Daniel Ellsberg did. So the thing that's so impressive about Ellsberg is he basically sacrificed his entire career by leaking the Pentagon Papers. Um, but Nixon was scared. Nixon uh, was afraid that uh, they were they were going to destroy him by releasing his secrets. So right. he put together the plumbers to get their secrets and destroy them. With just a couple minutes left, even though the Pentagon Papers weren't about Nixon's presidency, you do touch on in your writing that a lot of what was revealed was not really desirable to any president, revealing to people that presidents and the U.S. government lie about wars, that war are counterproductive, that they're doomed to failure, but continued. They continued, I think the quote from the Pentagon Papers was primarily to save face, not for any other reason, that the, that the vast majority of the people being killed were civilian and so forth. None of this was information any White House wants released, is it? Not at all. And uh, Nixon was especially threatened by that, because he was prolonging the Vietnam War specifically for political reasons. He calculated that if he lost the war before the 1972 election, that he would lose the 1972 election because he'd be a president who had lost a war. So he, while he was telling the country, we must keep the war going in order for us to have time to train and equip the South Vietnamese to defend themselves against the North Vietnamese without American soldiers. In reality, he thought they would not be able to defend themselves without American soldiers, and that's why he kept American soldiers there through all four years of his first term, in order not to prevent a communist victory in Vietnam, but to delay the communist victory in Vietnam past his re-election. Um, and that, I think, is really the most damning secret of Nixon that's on the tapes, um, his sacrifice of American lives for political gain. Perhaps some um, other human lives as well, maybe? Oh, sure. I mean, um, that was, but that would not be the thing that destroyed him with the Republican base. Um, the thing that would destroy him with uh, the people who were supporting him was the knowledge that he was putting would be the knowledge that he put his own political well-being above the lives and safety of American soldiers. And uh, that was a secret Nixon did manage to keep. But I think it was always, uh, it was always um, in the background uh, threatening, threatening to destroy him if it ever got out. Uh, indeed. It's uh, remarkable information uh, in more than one of your books and another one uh, forthcoming. Ken Hughes is at the Miller Center at the University of Virginia. We will have links up to his writing and his books at talknationradio.org. Ken, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. 
Thank you for inviting me, David. It was a pleasure. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.